Welcome to the Teen Life Coach Podcast. I'm Coach Sammy, and I am so glad you are here. The teen years can be fun and exciting, but also filled with self-doubt, insecurities, and lots of frustration. I am here to help you along your teen journey and make sure you enjoy your teen years as much as possible. Let's get started. Hey, you guys, welcome to the podcast this week. I am so happy you guys are here. And um, we have a special guest on the podcast this week, Dr. Ethier. And she is from the CDC, and she is going to be talking to you guys about what is going on with our teen mental health. And I am just, I'm so happy she's here. And Dr. Ethier, will you introduce yourself? I don't want to mess up your title, actually. <laughs> so sure. I'm going to have you sure. say, say your official title and tell us kind of what you're working on. Sure. Um, I'm Kathleen Ethier. I'm the director of the Division of Adolescent and School Health at the Centers for Disease Control. And so what we do, um, we do a couple of things that is meant to really support the health and well-being of young people around the country. So we collect this youth risk behavior survey data, which um, is the data that's been in the news for the last couple of weeks that um, I hope you've heard about and that we're kind of here to talk about today. We also do other kinds of research to try to help solve problems. So um, if we know from our data that young people are struggling in particular ways, what kinds of strategies can we develop to assist, to help out? And then we, um, the way that we put those strategies in place is we work with um, ur large urban school districts. So many of you may be in some of the school districts we work in around the country. There's 28 of them. And we um, work on things that schools can do to help young people um, help their health and help help their well-being. So we make sure that they have good um, quality health education in place that is inclusive and addresses mental health and addresses physical health and all the things that you need to know um, so that you can move into being an adult with all of the information and the skills that you need. We help those districts connect young people to services that they need, whether those are services in their school-based health center or those are services that are out in the community and we make those can help make those connections for them. And then the third set of things that we do are things that um, really improve the school environment in ways that make it safer um, and make it more supportive. Um, and that is everything from making sure that your teachers have the skills that they need to kind of nego help negotiate through everything that's going on in your classroom so that your class classrooms are safe places for you to learn. Um, we do things like make sure that there's programs in place, like mentoring programs that connect you to important people um, who can help guide you and kind of be good sources of information for you. And then we do lots of work around LGBTQ inclusivity so that even for kind of the, the youth in a school who may be the most vulnerable, we make sure that schools are putting strategies in place to kind of help keep everyone safe, particularly those most, the youth who might be most vulnerable. Let's, can we just dive right in and sure. tell us, tell us what this behavior youth survey. risk behavior survey, what does the, what has the data said with this survey that you guys have put out? So this survey has been around since 1991. So for over 30 years, um, we've been collecting this data. And so we do it every two years and we collect the data 
in um, high schools around the country. So we go out around the country, we find schools that kind of represent what, you know, most young people in the country are like, and we ask um, young people in their classrooms to fill out a survey. So some of your listeners may actually have filled out a youth risk behavior survey at some point. And, um, and so we watch trends. This allows us to kind of tell us not only what's going on currently with um, health and well-being for, um, for teenagers, but we can look over time. So we just put out a report that looked at the data between 2011 and 2021. So this latest um, survey, would, the data was collected in the fall of 2021. So most young people were coming out of the pandemic. They were all back in school, um, luckily by that point. But it's the first regular YRBS data collection that we have done since the start of the pandemic. And, you know, I think young people tell us all the time just how hard that period of time was. And so um, not surprisingly, we have seen that um, our the measures of mental health that we have in the survey, which are around depressive symptoms, and we ask um, teenagers to tell us uh, if their mental, how their mental health was in the last 30 days. And then we ask some questions about suicidal thoughts, um, you know, whether um, people, whether young people are considering attempting suicide, making a suicide plan, or had attempted suicide in the last year. And so, um, and then we look at experiences of violence. We look at, um, and I mean, there's, there's 99 questions in the survey, but the, the uh, report that we just put out is really focused on sexual behavior, substance use, experience of violence and mental health and suicidal thoughts and behavior. And what we're seeing, again, I mean, I think, you know, your listeners can probably tell us more than we can tell them about what they're experiencing, but we really have seen increases in poor mental health, increases in depressive symptoms, increases in thoughts and behaviors around suicide. Um, and for some groups of young people like teenage girls and LGBTQ plus youth, we see really um, increases in experience of violence. So we see more experience of bullying, girls experience more bullying than boys. Um, and we've seen increases across the last 10 years in the experience of sexual violence. Which I mean, all my listeners probably are like, yeah, we're living this, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? We know sure, this is happening, yeah. right? Absolutely. And so I'm sure these results and this data is not surprising to um to any of them. Um, but I I was on a call with a mom earlier this morning with a teen who um she was telling me about her teen who was having anxiety and was having depression, and she was just you know kind of telling me how you know, one, it was hard for her to get her teen to want to get help. Right. And then number two, once her teen did decide, okay, yeah, mom, I'm ready to get some help. I'm ready to talk to somebody. It's almost, you know, impossible to get resources to help the teens that are ready and that are needing the help. And this is something that when you need the help, you need it right away. Yeah. And so I think that's just another one of the really, really big struggles um, with providing help and resources for these teens that need it. Yeah. So what can we do? So I, you know, I think there's, there's a lot that we probably need to do before any individual teen <clears throat> needs to see a provider. And I think that's important to know and, and also important, we need to be working on this now. 
so there's there are lots of things that that parents can do. <clears throat> there are lots of things that teens can do with their parents. Um, there are lots of things that schools can do for for teens themselves. We as adults, as all of the adults around them, should be doing everything we can from early ages to kind of hold them up and support them, so that we're not kind of putting the onus on teenagers to say, okay, you know, let's fix your mental health now. Like from an early age, for instance, parents should be talking to their kids about how are they feeling? You know, what are, what are their feelings like? How do they help manage them? What can we, you know, what can we do now? So if you're having a bad day as a younger child, we can figure out how to negotiate through that. And that should start early so that we don't get to the point of teenagers hitting some, you know, kind of mental health walls and, and that conversation hasn't, is just starting. So I, you know, love the fact that the parent that you talk to is talk, you know, actively talking to her daughter about what she's experiencing. And hopefully she's been talking to her daughter about that since her daughter was very young. You know, there's, I think there's a, a lot that schools can do so that, again, from earlier ages, we are supporting the, the mental health of students in schools so that when they get to be in high school, we've got more supports in place that are not about, you know, just needing to see a, a mental health care provider. I mean, where we are now in terms of what young people are experiencing, we can't just you know, we can't mental health professional our way out of that. So we need to put all kinds of supports in place in all of the, the of the places that young people live and play and go to school and work so that their mental health is being supported. Yeah. So what is the education that needs to be taught to the parents, to the school professionals? Is it the education of how to regulate emotions and that emotions are normal and there's nothing wrong with emotions? Is that the education that anxiety is a normal emotion and it's, it's normal to feel anxious and, you know, taking emotions mm -hmm. and making them into like problems to be solved when they're actually not or like, what are the specifics that are needing to be taught to the parents and the educators? So I think there, I think part of it is absolutely kind of having the language to um, describe emotions. And that is both on the part of the, of the child or the adolescent and the adults around them. And so giving both adults and children, the awareness of what a, um, what emotions are, what they mean, what, what do you, what do you do with them? Like, how do you negotiate through them? I think to make it less scary, but then at the same time, there is a point at which depression or anxiety becomes debilitating to the point where just that kind of regular emotional emotion management, um, emotion negotiation isn't enough. And I think that conversation between young people and the important adults around them, whether those are parents or um, school counselors or even teachers or, or you know, whoever the um, important adults are for that young person, trying to figure out where where is that line, right? Where is 
kind of normal, normal, your normal emotional life that you just have to figure out how to negotiate your way through, where does that stop? And where do you need professional help? You know, on top of that, you know, there it's, it is, I mean, you know, as adults, we know you feel down for periods of time in your life and then you work your way through it. You feel anxious for periods of time in your life and you work your way through it. What is the kind of normal just working your way through how hard it is to be human? And then what's the point at which you need you need some professional help with that. Well, and I think for so many teens is like they, especially the teens that I work with is there's this belief that I'm not supposed to feel this way. Like you look at social media and everybody's happy and everybody's on vacation and everybody has a perfect body. And, um, there's, there's so many things that we're being blasted with nowadays that tell us like, Hey, you're, you're supposed to be happy. You're not supposed to be anxious. You're not supposed to be depressed. And so there's, you know, that other level of anxiety, which is like, I'm anxious, but I'm also not supposed to feel anxious because everybody else looks great. Right. Right. Well, and uh, you know, so one of the perfect antidotes to some of this is connection is what we call connectedness. So if you're sitting in your room by yourself, looking at your phone and you are seeing, and you're feeling anxious or depressed and you're seeing everybody else on that phone as being happy and, you know, having a great time and not anxious or not depressed, you're getting that information in isolation. And so you don't have anything, you don't have any other kind of counterpoint to that. The more connected you are to important other people, whether that's your peers, your family, um, other, you know, people out in organizations that you may be involved in or people at school, those other people can re- can provide a reflection back to you that says, no, we all feel depressed sometimes. We all feel anxious sometimes. That's normal. Normal bodies don't look like that. Not everybody has all of that money to buy all of those clothes. You know, all of the things that like reflect back to young people who are looking at this very curated stuff on their phones, you have to be out and connected to other people who can provide those things for you. Otherwise, you're just, that's that's all the information that you have. And so we know that social isolation is at the root of a lot of things like poor mental health, suicidal thoughts and behaviors, substance use. Um, you know, we, we know experience of violence. We know that social isolation kind of is at the root of some of that. And so the more connected you can be, not necessarily through your phone, but the more connected you can be to those important people and those important in those important places, the less weight that things like social media carry. I don't want to suggest that social media is the root of of all problems because I think it does provide lots of good information that you might need and it does provide some sense of connection. But I was just going to say, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. No, no. I mean, we could, you know, we could probably do a a good job in, in trying to influence, influence the social media influence, but it's not. And it's, you know, adults are on social media too. So it's not just an issue for, for teenagers, but I do think, you know, right sizing that, um, right sizing that influence is important. 
Yeah, no, I love, I love that suggestion. What about when it comes to the youth that are in marginalized populations? Um, how can we support them or what are some things that those teens in those populations can do to feel more mentally healthy, happy? I am really all about teens enjoying their teen lives. <laughs> Um, and helping them, you know, it, this is a really great time in their lives and I want, I want them to enjoy it, even though there is, you know, so many things going on in their brain developmentally, but what, what can some of those teens do in those populations to, to help them be happier? So, I mean, you know, there's a couple of populations that I think, you know, you're probably referring to, um, certainly the LGBTQ plus, um, population, you know, we see in our data, um, we, we don't have a question that that asks about gender identity. So we we don't specifically talk about transgender youth. But I think, you know, we are clearly seeing in our data and have since we started asking um, questions about sexual identity back in 2015, we have seen that those young people are certainly um, experiencing more violence, uh, are certainly uh, experiencing more stigma and that clearly is having an impact on their mental health. And, and so, you know, we've done a lot of work around making sure that their environments are inclusive. Um, not only, and, and what by inclusive, I mean, not just kind of in the sense of like in their health class, you get, you know, it, it gets mentioned, but that, that those environments are really affirming. So affirming of their identities, affirming of who they are. Um, and the more we do that, the better off young people are. Um, and not just, you know, when we make when we make environments kind of more supportive for the most vulnerable youth, what we find in our research is that everybody does better. And so it's just kind of creating a better environment for for all young people. But I think it's some of those things of making sure wherever we can that their environments are safe so that we have policies in place, for instance, in schools about anti-harassment that are enforced. Making sure that we educate all of the adults around them about why it's important to support them and, and what that means. And I think making sure that any young person from a, any marginalized population, whether that's LGBTQ plus youth or other vulnerable youth, have safe spaces. Um, so places where they can go, where they can be themselves and feel supported and that there are adults in those environment environments that that um, kind of are are aware of how to create that kind of safety. When it comes to specific signs and symptoms that teens are experiencing, a lot of them don't, they've never been depressed before. They've never been anxious. Many of their parents don't know what to look for, or if, you know, if their teen needs help, what are some of those things that if teens may be feeling or if parents may be noticing, what are some of those things that, you know, people can, they can look out for, or parents can look out for or just like, be like, oh, I think I need some help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, we talk uh, for parents, we talk about like looking for changes in eating behavior, sleeping behavior, um, you know, changes in mood, um, changes in other kinds of behavior. So, you know, if 
if your young people, your young person is, you know, suddenly you're getting calls because they've gotten in a fight at school, you know, that that's unusual for them to try to um, not go immediately to you're doing something wrong, but trying to understand why things happen the way that they did. You know, we're hearing a lot from, um, we're hearing a lot from teachers and school administrators that the level of kind of conflict has increased in, in schools. So there's, you know, kind of more arguments, more fights. And some of that's probably due to people not being in school a lot for, for a little while and kind of relearning how to all be in the same place again. But it also may be that that is one way that, you know, mental health issues are coming out in irritability and aggression and in those kinds of things. So making sure that we're not just as adults, we're not just um, kind of creating consequences and punishments for behaviors that we think are not right, but just trying to understand why it's happening, especially if it's something that is hasn't been happening before. I think, you know, from the flip side for teenagers, if you're having emotions that you haven't had before, if you're, you know, finding yourself, you know, being really sad, crying a lot, um, uh, having physical symptoms of anxiety and never having experienced that before, find an adult to talk that through with. Um, because it may be, you know, that you just have never experienced it before and you don't quite know what it is. And it's just a matter of kind of getting some more information to be able to label what it is you're feeling so that you can kind of work your way through it um, and coming up with strategies, you know, mindfulness strategies are great for anxiety. Um, getting outside and walking in nature is great for depression. Like, you know, there's strategies of things that you can do to make yourself feel better in those times when you, um, when you're feeling depressed or you're feeling anxious. And so learning about what some of those are, I think is a, is a great idea. But the first step is kind of understanding what it is you're feeling and being able to label those things, especially if they're things that you have not experienced before. So in the same way that we talk to parents about like, hey, notice if your your young person's sleeping more. For a teenager, if you notice that you're having trouble getting out of bed and that you just want to stay in bed and sleep and that's not usual for you, then talk to it, talk to an adult about it because um, they can help you kind of work through whether or not this is temporary or you need some more assistance. So what's the time frame there? Because I'm sure if you guys are listening and you're a teenager, like you've had mornings where you don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> I have mornings. I don't want to go get out of bed, but like how long should that continue on for when we're like, okay, maybe that's, that's not quite normal. Um, like if it's a day or two, maybe not an issue, but you know, at what point do we kind of be like, oh, maybe that's a red flag. You know, I think, honestly, I think it's such an individual thing. And I think the way that this will crop up is, is such an individual thing, but you know, the better, you know, yourself, the better able you are to have that moment where you go, this isn't like me, you know, that if you are finding yourself being really angry and you know, you've never really been an angry person, you know, there's no exact time, right? There's no like, Oh, it happened three times. And now it's time for me to do something about it. I think, I think staying aware of who you are and what you normally do so that you notice when things are like, oh, I just made a left turn there. I wonder why that happened. 
it's really, I think about that kind of self-awareness yeah, and then the understanding of like, hmm, this has been going on for a while. It's not right. Somebody, I just, somebody asked recently, uh, an adult asked, um, do we think that, you know, what we're seeing in the data in terms of the increase in um, the percent of, of adolescents who say that they've felt sad or so sad or hopeless in the last year that they haven't been able to do their regular activities. That's a measure of depressive symptoms. And the fact that that's increased over time, does that mean that it's just that, you know, young people are now aware, more aware of those things? And I think that is, you know, that is possible. And that's a good thing, right? That means that we're giving people the language to be able to describe their emotions. But if they're that, if they're not then able to go tell somebody, that's where we have failed. And so it's not just about, it is about the self-awareness and it is about labeling your emotions and it is about understanding them, but it's also about, there's a, a point at which if you have felt so sad or hopeless for two weeks that you couldn't do your regular activities, that's a sign of depression and you need to go tell somebody that that's happening. If you've thought about um, if you've considered attempting suicide, you have to go tell somebody that. So it is that it's that dual kind of thing. It is both the understanding of the emotions and the feelings and the thoughts that you're having, and then you're reaching out. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's the self-assessment piece. And then, you know, then being able to overcome the stigma of, oh, I'm crazy or people think right. something's wrong with me, or I, I look fine. Nothing's wrong with me. Right. right. There's a lot of stigma associated with, you know, mental health issues and, um, for teens, especially who are so worried about appearances and what people think, how can they overcome that? So I am here to tell you that if, 42% of high school students said that in the last, which is what our data showed, that in the last year, they felt so sad or hopeless for at least two weeks that they could not do their regular activities, which are depressive, which is a, a indication of depressive symptoms. You are not the only one who feels this way. You are not crazy. You are not, you know, there, this is, you know, we're talking more than 40% of high school students said that they felt that way. If that's, that's happening so much more commonly that you should feel comfortable that you are not the only person that you know who feels this way. And I, I love the idea of just normalizing it mm -hmm. because it, it is normal. And I try to tell the teens that I work with, like everybody feels the same way you right. do, but right. there's still just like that underlying, you know, belief that I should be able to get through this on my own. One of the one of the biggest predictors of negative impacts on health and well-being is social isolation. And the idea that I can do this on my own is incredibly isolating. And one of the best predictors of positive mental health is connectedness. And so as humans, we could not exist without each other right? From the, from the moment that we are born, we rely on other people to take care of us. We are social beings. We live in social groups. 
um, we are not meant to be in isolation as human beings. And so there is no reason to think that trying to take care of your mental health on your own, A, is, is a good idea because it's probably not going <laughs> to, it's probably only going to get worse in, so in, in isolation. And two, that there's, if we are, um, as humans, we need other people, then when we're in distress, of course we need other people. That's the time when we need other people the most. And so think of that time when you felt really connected to another human and how, whether that was a family member or, you know, a good friend or, you know, a teacher who kind of, you know, really saw you and, and helped you um, get through something. That is such a profound and wonderful feeling. When you're on the opposite of that, when you're feeling alone and depressed and anxious, go to that place, go to that try to get that feeling back. And the way that you get that feeling back is you connect with somebody um, who cares about you and who cares about your success and who cares about your well-being. And it'll help. I mean, they may not have all the answers. I don't want to saddle everybody with, you know, the other adults in your life or the other teenagers in your life, you know, have all the answers. We don't. But but just that that sense of connection will will help. Yeah. And not everybody's going to understand your situation or understand how you feel or understand what you're going through, but you don't have to do it alone. And I, and I think that even, even just having somebody with you or to support you or be like, Hey, no, this happens all the time. There's nothing wrong with you. This is totally normal. I think that just makes not only a big difference, but the difference, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what our research tells us is that connected, this sense of connectedness. Um, and we look at it in a couple of different ways in a couple of different places. That sense of connectedness is really what makes a difference. Yeah. Okay. So you guys, if we are learning anything today from Dr. Ethier, it's connect with people, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if you aren't feeling good, connect with people. Don't stay isolated. Did I get that right, Dr. Ethier? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that That is, I think, solution number one. Okay. I appreciate the work that you're doing so much to, to help our teens and to help our teens in our schools and um, to gather data for us that are working with teens to be better able to support them in their, in their struggles and the things that they need. Anything else that you, any last words that you're like, Hey, Sammy, the teens need to know this, or this is really important. The reason we do the work that we do is because we understand that um, helping teenagers get into adulthood is the future for all of us right? That is, um, we're relying on you. <laughs> um, and so that's the kind of essential, that's why we do everything that we do. That's why we collect this data. That's why we try to help with schools. That's why we try to do all of this work is making life better for teenagers. And so know that for your parents, for your teachers, for the People in your community, your health and your well-being is the most important thing to us. We don't always have all of the right answers. We don't always have, you know, we get things wrong a lot, but reach out and reach out to, um, to people and tell them what you need. And you will find that people are there for you. And, um, and as adults, we just all hope that we can be. 
my biggest thing is we're not mind readers. (laughs) (laughs) I wish that'd be great. Just tell us what you need and we will do it. Right. (laughs) Right. Well, hope, I mean, I hope this is not to say that we're always, like I said, we're not going to always get it right. Um, but you know, I, but there, there is at least one, there is at least one adult somewhere in your environment who wants to get it right enough and will listen and will be there for you. And so try to find that adult if you can. Yeah. I love it. Thank you so, so much for being here and the work you do. And um, you guys in the show notes, I will put the link to view the report and all of all of the other links that Kathleen Ethier has given to me. So if you guys want more information about the reports and the data, then go ahead and go to the show notes and you guys can view it all there. Thank you. Hey guys, do you want more? If you are ready to work with me in one of my coaching programs for teens, check out my website, knowingup.com. That's K-N-O-W-I-N-G-U-P.com. Whatever you are struggling with, whether big or small, I can help. We learn so much more in my programs than what is offered here on the podcast. Come join me, you guys. See you soon.